Welcome back to the PFC Podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the PFC Podcast. This is Dennis and today I am with my good friend, Pac. How are you doing today? Howdy. Uh, thank you for um, inviting me to this podcast, Dennis. Uh, we know, we've known each other for many years now. Uh, yeah. As you know, I'm over in Europe and you're in the States, but I had the chance of visiting you in Bragg, so that was great. Yeah, Yeah. no, I had a great time. I had a great time. Um, so first, um, I'd like to say, uh, you know, thank you very much to some of our sponsors. We have Delta Development, we have North American Rescue, we have Special Operations Technologies, and uh, also thank you to all my uh, Patreon members. Uh, I couldn't be talking to Pac uh, without you guys, so I really appreciate it. But uh, today, uh, the reason why I asked Pac to come on the podcast is he's got an enormous amount of experience with uh, ketamine and specifically S-ketamine. Um, so Pac, uh, would you just do a real quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Um, I'm, a, I'm an anesthetist by trade, um, educated way back in the 80s. I was a senior consultant in university uh, for many years and then decided uh, to become a military officer, a military medical officer uh, at the age of 52. And uh, that was great. It was really a change from the hospital world. And I was a military anesthetist for a number of years, working in, abroad in many different operations, working with the Americans, Canadians, French, Germans. And um, then I became the uh, medad for the Danish Special Forces, uh, Special Operation Forces, uh, in 2010, and worked with them for six or seven years. Um, during that time, uh, we developed the uh, European in Stockholm NATO Stockholm course. Uh, I was uh, helping the ISTC, which is the Special Training Center in Germany in Fullendorf. Um, constructing their ISTC in Sokom course, which was more or less the same as the Nordic. Um, and then we've been running refresher courses for all these in Sokoms that we've educated. I think we've educated both of our centers 300 the last um, 10 years. Nice. Nice. So, um, Ketamin, um, I've used both as a doctor in hospitals and uh, Ketamin as a military anesthetist, uh, both doing uh, MERT, MERT work, medical emergency response team work, but also using it in the military hospitals. And there's no doubt about it, I'm a great fan of Ketamin. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, you're the perfect guy for it. So, um, S Ketamine, whenever I'm training with uh, any of the Europeans, um, I don't really get to use S-ketamine very much. Uh, we don't have that here in the States. And uh, usually the way it's described by my uh, European brethren is like uh, magic sauce and nothing ever bad happens to it. And it's vastly better than the stuff that I have here. So um, <laughs> what is this magic elixir that you guys use over there? I, would, I hate contradicting my European brethren over here, <laughs> but Dennis, you are completely right having this sarcastic tone, because when Ket Ketamin was uh, made in 1962, 
and developed and synthesized. And uh, the Americans actually started using it in battlefield energies here back in Vietnam days. Um, it, it consisted of, of an R ketamine and an S ketamine. It was a, a, a hybrid. And um, all of a sudden, some clever guys back in around 2000 and ooh, I don't quite remember. Oh, I don't quite remember the year, but they decided that S-ketamine would probably be uh, the drug to develop instead of R-ketamine or the hybrid. Um, suggesting that it the S-ketamine would have a better analgesic profile and um, maybe be less hallucinogenic in mid-dose. But it turns out that when you use S-ketamine, you just use uh, the, the suggested doses is just half the old ketamine. Uh, so that means, okay, it's more potent, uh, but so if the effect is the same and the adverse effects are the same, it doesn't really matter that you give half dose because you mix it in the same amount of CCs, right? Yeah. And so in uh, S-ketamine, I think you have in a dose of 10 milligrams per mil. That's the basic S-ketamine. Uh, Ketalar, in old days, uh, you had 20 milligrams per cc, mm. right? So that's the same amount. Um, you have a more potent drug in the same amount of fluid. So yeah. what you're doing is you're injecting fluid, right? Yeah. And um, what we are interested in, is the effect that we are interested in onset time duration and um, not so much potency. It doesn't really matter. Um, fentanyl is more potent than morphine, right? Yeah. So, but you just give fewer milligrams or fewer micrograms of fentanyl to get the same effect. Yeah. Same thing with ketamine. Uh, Ketalar was the old RNS mixture. And S-ketamine is the newer one. And I, it's probably more expensive too, milligram for okay. milligram. That's usually how it is. So, yeah. but what we are interested in is onset. We are interested in effects. We're interested in complications, adverse effects, side effects. And they're exactly the same. Exactly okay. the same. There are some small academic things. For example, if you're using a mid-dose of S-ketamine, maybe you will have less hallucinogenic effect and uh, fewer adverse psychological events. Right. But again, if you, if you have a patient with one of these, then the, the rules and the suggestions all say, give them a bit of Versed and then it's over. Okay, then we, we can talk about this. But yeah. getting back to um, when I started using Ketelar, the mixture, it was in, in austere environments up in Pakistan, in northern India, or in northern Pakistan, all the way up by the Khyber Pass. We were treating Afghan war wounded who were being massacred by the Russians at the time in 1985, 86. And we had hundreds and hundreds of fragmentation wounds, shrapnel wounds. And uh, they all needed small surgeries. They needed washouts. And we only had two surgeons and one anesthetist and some trainee, Pakistani trainee anesthetists. So what we did was that um, 
We lined them up in the morning, six patients at a time, wham, 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 in with IVs. We had a little bit of atropine ready on each table. And then we got the anesthetic nurses, uh, the medics trained to give slow pushes of ketamine until we had the onset. And that was nystagmus we were looking for. And okay. the so-called thousand yards stare and nystagmus. Yep. When it was there, they were trained to ensure free airways. They were also trained not to give the IV push too quickly because we all know with ketamine, if you really bung it in fast, then you're going to have problems, a slight respiratory depression for some minutes and possible bradycardia. And that's why we always had the atropine ready. Yeah. How much but atropine it, would you push? Uh, well, you'd push one milligram at a time. You wouldn't yeah. push anything. You don't need that really because it's yeah. a, trans, a transient period until the peak level of ketamine just falls a little bit and then everything turns out normal. But you have yeah. to be aware of it, of course. Yeah. And it's especially elderly, elderly patients and kids. As we're talking children uh, under three months, six months old. Yeah. Okay. There you have to be especially careful using ketamine. But everyone else, you put in an IV line, you put on your SAT monitor. We didn't have SAT monitors. We didn't even have blood pressure cuffs. We measured the pulse, the pulse right? Yeah. And um, then you just inject the ketamine slowly but surely. At that time, it was one milligram per mil. That's everyone can remember that. And if you ever wanted to continue, then you would either bump him up with a half dose every 15 minutes, or you would make a drip where you ran one milligram per kilo per minute. Yeah. That was so easy to remember. Everyone could do that. Atropine was one milligram, right? And, yeah. and another thing with the atropine, just get back to side effects. Some patients do hypersalviate. And of course, when we're talking about free airways, maybe it's a good idea these patients also receive some atropine that dry out the mouth, right? Yeah, especially if you're trying to sedate them, for, like you were talking about for surgery. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. Uh, so what I was talking about is the, the deeper sedation for surgery, not pain yep. treatment yet, because okay, yeah. I'll get back to that in a second when we talk about battlefield analgesia. here. So then we did that, uh, these small washouts, they lasted around half an hour, half an hour, 40 minutes, depending on the severity, uh, washed them out. Uh, I did that, the surgeons did that, the uh, nurses did it, depending on what, how severe it was. And then 10 minutes before we were finished, we gave them a little bit of morphine. We gave them around two and a half to five milligrams of morphine IV. And that was to combat the possible emergence phenomena. Uh, most of our patients were Afghanis and we didn't really see any emergence phenomena uh, with these patients. Yeah. Uh, it's well described up to 12, 16% in a population in England, for example, where they did a study, 12 to 16% get some kind of bad dreams, or hallucinations, short-term. Um, the Afghanis didn't get that, uh, so we were not using very much Versed at all, but we had it. 
And if if we had patients with severe emergence problems, we would have given them one to two milligrams of Versed IV slow push. Nice. Um, just and, a quick question yeah. about that pack. So the differences in populations, like Afghanistan, yeah. I remember them being very, very stoic people yes. compared to Americans, compared to some of the Europeans. Yeah. Other countries in the world are, are very similar in fact, in that they're, they don't expect much health care, so they just suck it up. Um, do you think that has something to do with hallucinations that they just, they, maybe they have them, but they don't react to it? I think uh, it's quite possible. That, okay. that is what I've always been thinking. Yeah. 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 Okay. But what we have to do, we have to react. Our, our duty is to react and, and treat this and help this. Yes. And uh, of course, if they don't show anything, then we can't really do anything, right? Right. Um, no, no, that was uh, no. The Afghanis they they handled that very very well, and there yeah. was a big culture, big culture difference. Yes, I think actually they did a study. We could probably find it somewhere. I think it was five hundred patients in, in from England and five hundred patients from uh, from Pakistan, where they looked at emergence uh, phenomena after ketamine, and there was a major difference. Yeah, using the objective criteria that they were using for that study. So. Yeah. But th this is sedation. And um, when you use esketamine, then it's half dose, right? As I was saying before, then it's half a milligram per kilo induction dose, just as a th rule of thumb. Uh, you induce the patient and then you look for the battle battlefield stare or, and then the nystagmus. Yep. And uh, if he doesn't really reach that stage, then you, you bump him half dose again. Okay. As we know with S-ketamine and normal ketamine, there's a very, very high uh, tolerance for side effects or overdosing. You can hardly overdose. With the, uh, the amount of ketamine we have in our combat bags, you will not probably make yep. big problems, right? And right. there were even some Americans some years ago talking about giving three to 400 milligrams of ketamine as analgesia on the battlefield. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that was uh, six It'll or work. seven years ago. <laughs> It'll really work. And you've got a very sedated patient for your helicopter <laughs> transport, right? Yeah. So, but that was one of the suggestions, but we don't do that anymore. Um, battlefield analgesia, well, that's very interesting because um, back in 2009, uh, I was working the British Field Hospital in Camp Bastion as an anesthetist, flying with the Royal Air Force, doing uh, medical emergency response team work, going out with the helicopters, picking them up. We were co-located with Dostoff, which was also in Camp Bastion, and they were using morphine uh, as battlefield analgesia. So what was more natural? We were using ketamine, they were using morphine, but we had whole blood. Uh, they didn't have any blood at all. So yeah. we had really some interesting weekly discussions. Unfortunately, one of my junior medical officers did a study, 25 patients from each group, looking at pre-hospital, hospital, emergency room, uh, adverse effects, whatever, the pain scores. And uh, there was no doubt about it, ketamine was effective. And many other studies, I think there are around 25, 30 
proper RCT, uh, randomly controlled trials now on ketamine and battlefield, shows that ketamine is uh, is superior to morphine. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it definitely works very well. Uh, our problem with ketamine is that you have a quick onset IV, you have a duration that's quite short, uh, yes. 20 to 30 minutes. And that's our problem when we're talking analgesia. Yep. Um, so uh, what we teach in Europe here is that we very quickly go over to morphine. I think you do the same thing in uh, oh, or fentanyl. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, I like morphine. I've used hydromorphone also, um, but I'm just using it so that I, once everything is kind of settled and the patient is relatively stable, um, and they can handle something like that. Uh, just small start with small bumps of a longer acting agent, just so I can free up my hands, free up my mind yeah. about uh, yeah. Yeah. take care of probably other patients. Yeah. yeah. Problem was using uh, using a ketamine. For example, a ketamine mixed with propofol has been suggested mm -hmm. also. But yeah. listen, now you're mixing two drugs. Uh, you are you don't you've got low supplies of your drips of your fluids. Um, why not just use the easiest stuff that's morphine and learn learn to use it, learn to use yes. it properly. Uh, yes. The rule of thumb with morphine, as you know, is you can give it every four hours and then you can bump it up once in a while. That is yeah. so much easier if the analgesia works, right? But right. you're going to have you're going to have patients with severe pain uh, where morphine just doesn't work. Yep. And uh, that brings me also to something else we can always talk about. Sure. You've got a great guy in the States called Chester Buckenmeyer, who is the big regional anesthetist um, doing regional analgesia. Yeah. Have you heard of him? Yeah. No. He, he developed the whole ultrasound uh, regional anesthesia. He wrote a, uh, a book. Actually, you've got it on your homepage, on your website, uh, called Military uh, Regional Anesthesia and Analgesia. Yep. Yep, He's tomorrow. the author, yeah. And um, Chester, I worked together with him in 2009 in Bastion. And uh, he's a great guy, great guy. And um, we talked a lot about regional anesthesia. I was doing a lot of regional anesthesia too. and uh, But using nerve stimulators instead of ultrasound. Yeah. And uh, so he taught me a whole lot about this ultrasound stuff. But uh, the thing is, combine regional anesthesia with IV analgesia. That's the way forward when we're talking austere environments. Really, yes. I'd like to. I'd like to just uh, mention that here also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, even like guys, they want the easy button answer. Ketamine will do that, more or less. Um, but when you're talking long-term care. You know, and a regional block may or may not be able to take care of the entire problem. You know, you have shrapnel injuries across the body. You're probably not going to block everything. But even if no. you can just whittle down some of the things that are, are actually hurting the patient, you know, whether yeah. that be, you know, an extremity block of some kind or rib blocks, at least you're knocking that down. And you're kind of, at least in my mind, you're taking that uh, pain out of the equation for you know x number of hours and uh you're ultimately going to use less narcotics of whatever kind 
the uh, worst pain I've I've uh, experienced with soldiers are femur fractures, either open mm -hmm. or closed femur fractures. Um, the major trauma, the amputees, the quadruple or the double, or uh, they usually don't have that much pain. Usually, they are also quite snowed under, ventilated, yeah. and whatever. But if we're talking about this, no, this, this pain from smaller trauma, uh, the femur fractures are absolutely probably the worst. Yeah. And even though um, you put in a femur block, a femoral block, it takes thirty seconds. And he's pain-free for maybe four or five hours. Yeah. Uh, I remember a big American guy. He was probably 110 kilos brought in, screaming, screaming on pain, thrashing around. Uh, he had received some ketamine on board uh, the helicopter also. So, and not enough ketamine. So he was in this mid-stage. Yeah. Um, four people were holding him down. And he, there was no doubt he had an open femur fracture. Uh, wham, bam, took 20 seconds to put in this femur block uh, and then pain-free, right? Yeah. And then the ketamine started working. He was a bit, there were a bit of psychological events that still because of the ketamine, but that we handled with a little bit of Versed and, and yeah. changed the situation completely. And you yeah. can easily imagine one of your guys in a small room, in some shithole, uh, screaming of pain, how that is going to affect the patrol of the team, yep. right? So oh, we yeah. want him pain treated, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You wanna, you need to, for a bunch of reasons, you need to stop this situation. Yeah. And, um, um, and one, guys probably not having as much experience as they should. Um, and two, because of that lack of experience, they don't have a plan. So they're just going in with like, you know, theoretical knowledge, book knowledge. This one guy told me this, uh, some other guy told me that, um, well, he's a doc, he's a nurse, he's a whatever. Yeah. And yeah. they don't really know what to do with the information because no. they've never actually done it, you know? I mean, Dennis, you're completely correct. And that's, this is one of the big training scars we've got. Uh, when we are doing our training, they just bung in some some salt water and they say, I'm giving 20 milligrams of S-ketamine or 50 milligrams yeah. of ketamine. And they look at the instructor and say, mm, is that okay? And the instructor jumps into it deep in the deep end of the pool and says, yeah, that sounds good, right? Yeah, because he don't, doesn't have experience either. <laughs> no, they don't get any training out of it. So yeah. I, I, one of the good suggestions I've heard is that utilize your vets. I think it was you mentioning it. Yeah. Um, I'm quite sure that a lot of vets are using ketamine or something like ketamine, where yeah. at least our medics could get hands-on delivering a drug and looking at the effects. And this is what yeah. you're talking about, right? Yeah. Didactically, they know that they get the battlefield stare and the the thousand yard stare and the nystagmus, but they've probably never even seen nystagmus, right? Right. And what's a battlefield stare? And they've never seen that. I mean, yeah. you can easily just seeing it three times, you'll remember it the rest of your life, right? Yes. This is our problem. This is our problem with training. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, obviously, if you're doing some kind of veterinary work. Um, and hopefully they'll, the vet will allow you to use the drugs, the narcotics that you would normally use. Like, Hey, I use ketamine a lot. It, it will work. Like 
ketamine's a kind of a ubiquitous vet drug for a long time, and it's just ketamine coming back into human population again. Um, but mm. it'll work. The I think the best thing about it is um, the dosings don't match human dosings. But the key training point is it doesn't matter. You have to dose it for that patient. And people forget that people are other people are just different because of a, a, a bunch of reasons, like just genetics, like what they ate that day, what whatever it is, is different. And you have to be comfortable adapting to the situation to get the effect you want. So it's I think same with all scenario. drugs. Yeah. 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 It's the same yeah. with all drugs, right? You give insulin. You, what do you do? You measure blood sugar, right? Yep. Um, you give a pain treatment. What you should do is measure your vascular before and after. You yeah. should do that and you should document it. Um, the same with if you're going to go into deep sedation with ketamine, you decide on a dose. As you say, you've got to have a plan. Where do I want to go with this dose? You've got to say, I want a thousand yards there in nystagmus and I'm prepared to bump it up if it doesn't if he doesn't get there, right? You have yep. to you have to have a measurement. You have to have some objective way of deciding what to do. And this is what yep. we have to teach them, right? Exactly. And then the next thing is then you snow them, they're down. You say to the surgeon or whoever's going to do the skill, you can do the chest tube, start the chest tube. Then he does the small incision, and then the patient starts verbalizing uh -huh. or moving his arm. You can see that with ketamine. Also with S-ketamine, there's no difference. And you've got to prepare the guys that this can happen. And you've got to be prepared yourself. Because what am yeah. I going to do? Am I going to panic now? Is the patient waking up? No. Look at the eyes. He's still got the thousand yards stare. He's just verbalizing. Yeah. Okay. If you don't like listening to all this verbalization, maybe you can give him a little bit more or you can give him some verset, which would also help yeah. a little bit. But you have to have a plan, right? Yes. And this is what you're talking about. And when they don't have experience, then they're going to have problems. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think sedation with ketamine, super easy. Um, you know, if you have a really panicked situation, a great big bump of ketamine slowly, hopefully, um, we'll mm -hmm. settle the, we'll settle it. Um, but where I think is a lot harder is just analgesia. When you don't want to snow him, you want to, uh, just calm him down some, take care of the pain, um, understand he's going to keep talking, he's going to keep moving around, um, but, um, you know, you have to have a way to assess, yeah. did you actually take care of the pain or did you miss your mark and now he's in the middle of that curve, you know? Um, how, as an anesthetist, as somebody who's worked in austere situations, how did you... Uh, kind of work that with ketamine? Well, when we talk about analgesia, you have to decide, are you going to use IM or are you going to use IV? First okay. of all, do okay. I have an IV uh, in or 
or is this so acute or there's, there's such a big problem I have to snow him I have to give him pain treatment before I give him the IV that's the first sure. step right okay you have let's, to have of course yeah sure yeah let's uh, pretend that at the moment you don't have an IV yet right then uh, the the magic sauce you're talking about you can give it in any manner you want you can give it intranasally you can give it IM subcutaneously you can give it orally and you can give it rectally okay. and the thing you have to remember is there are different bioavailabilities so when you give something IM instead of IV when we're talking S-ketamine or ketamine you have to double or triple or quadruple the dose. If you look in literature, there are different suggestions. Uh, the uh, Marine Corps in the States have got a training manual for their TCCC where they talk ketamine. And I noticed they write, if you give, uh, you have to give six times as much IM than you do IV. That's not what I learned, and that's not my experience, because it, it, it's not. And we're talking yeah. about pain treatment, and if you give a six-fold dose, you're going to snow him too much. You're going yeah. to go up into what we call middle dose, yeah. and that's where you get the adverse psychological effects events. Yeah. We want to have him pain treated and more or less calm. Um, so what I would suggest is a, a double dose. Okay. Or ketamine. But this is my experience. It's my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you give it rectally, for example, children, you don't want to give, uh, don't want to jab them. You don't want to put an IV in them. And it's just a short thing. You want to sedate them a little bit. Then you can use four times the dose rectally. You take a suction catheter, cut it off, and put it, your, put it on the syringe, and then place it anally and then inject Okay. Then it takes onset time is a bit slower, of course, but uh, if onset time IV is one minute, then we're talking about onset times of maybe 10 minutes when it's rectally, right? Okay. So this you have to know, of course, and in all our handbooks, this is also described, both the Ranger handbooks and uh, your guys and uh, the European handbook, it's all described, the different doses there. And that is something that's difficult to learn by heart. But you've got to understand that there's a different dose, of course. Then you just yeah. look it up. But when we get back to uh, pain treatment, then TCCC uh, recommendations are very clear cut. It says 10 to 20 milligrams uh, IV, which in uh, my experience is uh, great. Uh, it, I would probably start with 10 milligrams of S-ketamine. It's a little bit more potent. And then I would just bump it up after five or 10 minutes. The good thing with IV, you get onset very quickly. You get effect very quickly. So you can also react very quickly. Bad thing, for example, I am morphine. The classic problems in hospitals is the nurse comes in and gives you 10 milligrams of I am morphine. It takes around 20, 30 minutes before it works properly, yeah. before you get peak effect. And then she's out doing something else, right? So uh -huh. if you don't have any effect, you maybe have to wait a couple of hours before she comes in again. Right. That is because they are not trained either to 
give drugs properly. When you give a drug, you have to look at effect. And if you can first expect effect after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, then you have to check it after 20, 30 minutes. If you give it yeah. IV, we know the effect is there in one or two minutes. If we haven't reached the effect we want, we can just repeat it, right? Right. And I mean, that's that's a little bit easier said than done when uh, like those are a long one or two minutes when somebody's in a lot of pain. Oh, yeah. But you have to have that. You have to have that discipline. You have to have that patience. Look at your watch. What, you know what you guys uh, in the States don't really do as far as remember, you don't have something called ketamine labs. That's where, true. Where the guys, they receive a little bit of ketamine and uh, just to see how it works on themselves. And of course, I've never done that. Well, we, oh, good. we never do that in <laughs> Europe. But um, and that's a very interesting thing, too, because then the guys find out that 10 milligrams IV or then 10 milligrams IM, there's a difference. And uh, they find out it's not dangerous. They don't hallucinate blue dragons. Um, so that's something that is frowned upon by the, the officers, of course. But yeah. um, when we work in austere environments like we do, I think it's something one could consider. And I'm quite sure people are doing it here and there. But the ISTC had big problems with it. They, yeah. they did a formal official ketamine lab. And that was closed down very, very, very quickly. By the German <laughs> uppers, by the German right? command, yeah. But uh, I don't know why, because Jesus, we're out fighting a battle. Yeah. Um, we have to know how to use our drugs. Yeah. So the easy way is to find your vet, have a good chat with your vet. Yeah. I yeah, don't I think, think I think LTT, like you guys are doing in Bragg, uh, is good because they yeah. they get to really use the drugs, see the effect. But uh, yeah. they probably have problems also when the pig is not sleeping properly. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely there's big problems when that when that stuff happens. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, a, a medic out on the out in the field, he's trying to do some analgesia. He overdoses. He gets them like right in the middle. And sometimes some of these recommended doses especially when you're dealing with somebody whose chemodynamics are a bit soft, it's definitely possible. So what, what do I do if I end up landing in that middle zone and he is just, you know, he's not reacting to you. He's reacting to whatever planet he's on. Like, what do I, what do I do? Do I just dose him again and then knock him all the way out? Or do I wait and let him, let that stuff burn off. Well, as I mentioned before, if I have a guy with an emergence phenomenon like this, uh, I would probably use a low dose versus midazolam. Okay. A low dose, half okay. a milligram, one milligram, no more than that, um, just to take the top off that. And then I would wait because okay. we know ketamine duration is short. It's yeah. 15, 20 minutes. So if you can handle it, wait. Don't panic, because then he will get down into a phase where he's well pain treated, maybe, but does not have the adverse events. So I would right. wait a little bit, maybe give him a little bump of Versed, but not too much. Okay. I agree with you. The other thing is, of course, depending on his trauma, depending on what 
mechanism of transportation we're using? Is it a bumpy truck drive? Is it a, a smooth piper or is it a helicopter that shakes all over the place or whatever? Depending on the trauma and the method of transportation, well, yeah, why not sedate him uh, yeah. deeply? Right. Uh, because we know sedation with ketamine, as long as you're traveling with him, of course, I wouldn't deep in, deeply sedate him if he's just going to go with a, a Kasevac somewhere yeah, or a Medivac where you don't know the guys and the guys don't know ketamine. I, that's something you would have to consider in your mission planning, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're yeah. not necessarily yeah. helping the other medic out by snowing no. him and then throwing him no. on, the, on the helicopter and no, the truck. No, no. He's probably got his algorithms also, right? So if you deliver yeah. a patient that's deeply snowed, maybe you're not helping him at all. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. But I, if if we do have these uh, these uh, adverse events, uh, I would probably just not panic. I would just uh, restrain him, give yeah. him a little bit of versed, and then wait the ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. Because I've definitely seen it where guys like they'll they'll come up with their plan right now that I've kind of shown them like you're not doing this correctly you need to have a plan they're like okay my plan is to you know give this guy pain control for whatever reason they overshoot gets a little panicky he starts grabbing at things and they're like oh like that was wrong like and then they just sedate mm -hmm. him you know if yeah. your if your plan was to provide pain control you don't have to immediately shift your plan you just have to have some patience recognize okay you know, I made a mistake on accident, right? Mm. This is how we react to it. You know, you don't One thing, when have you, to... Uh, when you teach your clinic there, um, do you get them to draw up uh, atropine, versed? Is it is it ready to use, or do they just have it in their pack and they can take it out if they need it? Well, how do you uh, teach it so with the pigs? Usually um, they have it. They don't necessarily draw it. Um, I try to, and maybe it's not the right answer, but I try to get them like to slow, like stop panicking and like just doing stuff. Think about what you're going to do. Make a, make a, you know, your, what's your initial plan? What's your initial dose? And we'll start going mm -hmm. from there. Understand that, you know, if something happens with this airway, you have the gear. Mm -hmm. Like I, I tried to teach them like, Respond to all your emergencies before they happen. So even all the way back in your mission planning and what you're packing in your bag, like, you know, I teach them like the MISMADE uh, uh, acronym, you know, so you have your monitoring, you have your suction, you have your airway things, um, you know, you have your, your drugs and, you know, whatever adjuncts you th think you may need. All that planning is done long before you stepped off. So that when those things happen, you already know where it is. You already have a plan to use those things, and then you can just kind of engage. Um, I don't there's necessarily no have them. Yeah, there's I no difference here, Dennis. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. Sorry. No, um, I say I don't necessarily have them draw it up because once you draw it up, um, you know, I don't want them wasting a dose. Um, I don't want them wasting any kind of gear unless they have a plan for it. Like, I'm going to use mm -hmm. it. Now I pull it out and do it. Okay, it's just the, I was just considering the didactics in it. And when you, when we in the teaching situation, 
ensure that everything is ready for adverse mm. or side yep. effects. Yes, absolutely. But, okay, that's just, just the way of thinking. Um, okay, but there's but no that, real difference if, if they give morphine or they give an antibiotic or they, with an allergic reaction, uh -huh. or they give some fluids that doesn't go into the vein, but goes into the subcutaneous. I mean, these are all side effects, adverse effects. And the yes. students there, of course, have to know this. They have to be trained on it, right? Yes, absolutely. And so it there, there's no difference. Uh, there's no difference between ketamine and morphine and whatever we nope. give them. Nope. Not, um, not in the principle of using it, no. Right, and that's what I try to I try to teach them. So I the, the name of the class is pharmacology, but I don't talk about a drug until we're like halfway three quarters through the class, because no. I try to hammer home there's there's a technique to using any that works with any narcotic. Um, you know, these are the bad things that can happen. Let's be prepared for those things. This is exactly. how we monitor the patient and ping pong mm -hmm. them down to mm -hmm. an ultimate goal, which is you know, what effect do you want? You're giving them poison. Like, what do you want mm -hmm. to get out of it? Yeah. You know? One thing, uh, you know, uh, we hadn't really talked about the advantages of ketamine uh, sedation yeah. is uh, with the hemodynamic instable patients. Of course, that's where we really found uh, interesting stuff. Another thing is um, asthma patients. If you uh -huh. have a severe asthma, it, they haven't talked very much about it because the clinical studies are a little bit weak on asthma. But they, uh, in 2022, they made a big, um, a, a big study uh, looking at everything that's been out the last 10 years. And there's no doubt about it in their conclusion that ketamine is the drug of choice for refractory status asthmaticus. Yeah. So um, it's a very good sedation. If we are talking about kids, for example, the um, the number of intubations and ventilations fall dramatically when you use ketamine as a sedative. Yeah. Um, so that's excuse me. That's something to remember. So hemodynamic dynamically patient, hypovolemic patients. Ketamine yep. is the drug of choice, no doubt about it. And that's why severe trauma, they all lose blood. We all know that. They've lost liters of blood. So, of course, until they get their blood transfusions, they are in a danger zone. So if you're starting snowing them with morphine or penthrox or what all the new stuff that's coming out, that is dangerous in mm -hmm. comparison to ketamine. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, normally what I'll see giving ketamine, you'll see like a slight increase in the heart rate. Um, hopefully blood pressure comes with it, hopefully. Um, but it's definitely, I haven't found it to be like the magic thing that will fix the situation. Blood will do that. But as far as uh, helping kind of give you a, a plateau or they don't crash quite as fast, Using uh, ketamine, that's that's definitely what I found, is it kind of yeah. puts a pause on it for just a moment while we're getting uh, getting resuscitation There's rolling. An interesting study from Southwestern. I think you've got a university called Southwestern. Yes. Uh, that has just come out also, is that they make a negative pressure study looking at the tolerance for hypovolemia 
giving morphine or ketamine or another another drug and um, the tolerance for hypovolemia is higher giving ketamine and the other drug whereas morphine tolerance to hypovolemia falls hmm. and they're yep. looking at a whole lot of cardi- uh, cardiac cardiac uh, things right yeah. yeah i mean i if i understand it right i think it makes sense right morphine yeah. you get the histamine response they vasodilate um yep. versus ketamine hmm. at least uh in some patients anyway kind of augments that sympathetic response hmm. exactly um, and there's uh, the other thing the big controversy was the um, icp problem the intracranial pressure problem and that seems to be dead now uh, yeah. the first studies that came out were uh, were uh, filled with problems because they were not controlling the CO2. Uh-huh. So that's where the first rumors of that it would be detrimental using ketamine with uh, head trauma uh, came from. But they've gone away from that. One yeah. thing that has been maintained is uh, intraocular pressure. If that's high because of a globe trauma or a glaucoma, uh-huh. um, there are suggestions so you do not use ketamine there. But in our okay. world, we won't be seeing this. We'll be seeing yeah. open, open uh, global damages, and no, it's not the problem. Yeah. Um, but speaking of head trauma, sometimes seizures go with that, you know, TBI. Um, yeah. Have you heard, so I've had a few, like, ER docs say that they will use ketamine to help yes. block or stop a seizure. Yes, um, do you, have you seen that? But, or? Um, yeah, I've, I've read uh, Status Lepticus, it's called in my country, yeah. right? Um, yeah. uh, refractory seizures. Uh, yes, is treatable with, uh, with ketamine. Okay. Uh, I would probably think that it's uh, depending on what the trauma is. One thing is normal epilepsy. Another thing is epilepsy or epileptic seizures because of trauma. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where we'll go with that. But what we have is a head trauma with seizures, and ketamine is not contraindicated there. Okay. Um, but if it works, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, danger-wise, I can't really think of a danger. Like, I'm trying to use my benzodiazepines. They don't seem to be working. Maybe they worked earlier. They're not working now. Yeah. How far yeah. wrong can I go giving them a dose of ketamine? Can't go that far wrong, no. no. Yeah. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about was that in old days using um, uh, ketamine, uh, they suggested using an oropharyngeal airway hmm. uh, to ensure free airways. Um, we were discussing this when we had so many patients lined up, walking from patient to patient and not having eyes on totally all the time. Uh, we were placing oral pharyngeal airways and uh, it was quite interesting. The patients were spitting them out during the wake up phase. So then we knew they were waking up. Uh, okay. That wasn't bad. They spit it out <laughs> themselves. Um, yeah. But of course, that's not really our world. But come on, sometimes we're overflowed with the wounded patients. And yeah. uh, if you are considering running multiple anesthesias and washouts at the same time, maybe you could consider if you only have one set of eyes for three patients using an oropharyngeal uh, airway. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's not it, they don't they don't struggle with it at all. Not while okay. they're in deep sedation. But when they start waking up, they spit it out. Yeah. 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 That's one thing I was wondering is because you still have all your muscle control. Um, you know, would they would they essentially gag on it? Um, yeah. No, they don't. Even no. while they're down. No, not okay. when they're deep, but of course during emergence. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I mean, is there any other any other tips or tricks uh, with using ketamine? That you know, say I'm a brand new guy, I'm going out to a really bad place. I got a bunch of ketamine. I don't have lots of experience. You know, what advice would you give me? Well, you know. Ketamine anesthesia is probably the most common anesthesia in the world. And okay. when you read articles, you're reading developing countries use ketamine. No, I mean, countries like India, it's the most common anesthetic in India is ketamine. So if you want to get experience when you're out in the world, you know, why not visit a local clinic? Say hi to the guys say, let me uh, see your anesthesias. Let me see how you do ketamine. Maybe if you have time for it, that's a, that would be a good idea. Yeah. And uh, get hands on there and then see how they do it. Because it is so common in these countries. It's the way of doing things. Yeah. And um, that's the way to learn it. Yeah, All yeah, right? definitely. That's one experience, hands-on experience yeah. is definitely the best, yeah. best yeah. way to get it done. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. So, yeah. just like all tropical medicines, if you're in an area with tropical medicines, you visit, of course, the local doctor, the local clinic, uh, have a good chat with them, drink some tea, talk about his kids and his family, yeah. and then ask him what's ha what's happening in the area. Right. right. I, I remember down in uh, Task Force Seven in Lashkar, uh, when we had our local doctor, military doctor. And uh, I had read a lot about malaria in southern Afghanistan. Um, he went over and said, have we got a problem here with malaria? And he looked at me and said, I've been here 30 or 40 years. I've never seen a malaria case. So, <laughs> OK, oh, you can handle that as you want to. But that was an interesting thing, right? Yeah. So so you utilize the, the locals. And yeah. when we talk about kids, I mean, it's a good idea to do that, too. Yep, absolutely. Well, well, thank you, Pac. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, a rambling talk, Dennis, here and there and everywhere, but it was an enjoyable thing talking with you. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. That's it for today's podcast. Be sure to go to our website, www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. Our boy is waiting there for you